Well, let's start from the very beginning. What's that song? Let's start from the very beginning. Very good place to start. I don't know if you're anything like me, but when I come into acknowledging something like where I stood with God, I thought, well, the best place to start is the Bible. And I better go right from the beginning. Well, I didn't get very far. And I thought maybe the Gospel of John might be better to read. And uh, I left Genesis for some years. But there's a lot of truths within this book and lovely stories of God leading people. And I'm looking forward to hearing what Michael's got to say today. So Genesis, if you've got your Bible there, if you've got your phone there or your iPad, open up Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning on the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. And God called the vault sky. And there was evening. And there was morning on the second day. And God then said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was all good. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed, according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kinds. And God saw that it was all good. And God said, and God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. And God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was all good. 
and there was evening, and there was morning on the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was all good. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning on the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. The livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. Thank you, Michael. Well, thanks for stealing my thunder by singing that um, in the very beginning. I was going to do that. No, I wasn't. <laughs> no chance at all. All right. Who remembers receiving their first Bible? Anybody? A few people do. Yeah, we remember getting it. It's, it's very important. I don't remember getting my first Bible. But I do remember my first attempt at trying to read it. And I did what any normal person would do. I started at the beginning. I opened it up, turned to the first page, Genesis 1, and I started reading. I quickly discovered familiar stories. I'm not sure why they were familiar, because I never went to Sunday school or, or any such thing. I didn't go to church. I can only assume that perhaps I'd heard them on television, via the media, perhaps by friends and family, because those stories were deeply embedded in our culture and our media when I was young. Well, I kept reading and reading, until I got to Genesis 5, and I stopped. Genesis 5 is the genealogy from Adam to Noah. And I remember thinking, what's the point of this? All these names and how long they lived and who begot who. It was a King James Version and all of that stuff. And it was just there. And I, and I got to this bit and I said, Adam lived for 930 years. I mean, Seriously. There was no way they were going to pull the wool over my eyes, so I just gave up. Now, I expect this is a story of many um, people who have tried to read the Bible, at least attempted to read it. And I think it happens when we approach the Scriptures with the wrong expectations and the wrong filters, the wrong lens. It was my expectation that the Scriptures would answer all of my questions as a young teenager. You know, all the answers would be there, the meaning of life would all be laid out for me to fully understand and I could just jump on board with it. Well, I was sadly disappointed because I, I've discovered that it asked, it created more questions than it answered. And the lens I had was one of a child. I was still very black and white in my thinking. And in my experience, I knew or have heard of no one who'd lived for 930 years, so it couldn't be true. So what I was reading must be a furphy, a myth. Well, today we're going to start our series in the book of Genesis. What a great thing to start for our, our year for 2023, I hope. Now, we're not going to do all 50 chapters. There's a lot of stuff in Genesis that's very contextual and specific to those people um, at that time. We're not going to cover all of that. But it's my hope that we will get through enough 
to give us a new lens, to encourage us to continue reading this text in our own time. Yes, you have homework. It's a wonderful, amazing book, and it has shaped the world in which we live, both literally and figuratively. Today, we're going to begin with these lenses. Firstly, Genesis as myth. Is it a myth or is it true? We're going to have a look at canonicity. I have to practice that word, a bit of a tongue twister. In other words, we're going to look at who decided that this was scripture. How did this come about to be in the Bible? And thirdly, it was good. And I've got a picture of pastries because, you know, what's not to like about pastries? And I like the creation started out good and then you eat them and it's so good. Yeah. On that note, I do remember being in London and I stopped in at this French patisserie. And I thought, wow, they're going to have some great patisseries. Because aren't the French famous for that kind of stuff? And I looked up and I said, I'll have a croissant, please. And the guy's got, you want a what? A croissant. A what? A croissant. And he's like, oh, you mean a croissant. Picking on the Aussie. Oh, well. Jesus is the word of God is the fourth thing we're going to look at. Jesus is there right from the very first page of the Bible. This matters. This is really important. We're going to pray, run through those four things. Um, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love. Open our hearts, open our minds to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I've still got Keith singing in my head. In the beginning, Genesis is myth. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It was good, Keith. Sorry, it was lovely. Like, you actually did that well. There's no way I could have done that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, these are probably the most quoted, most spoken, most read, read words of any book ever. Well, perhaps apart from Shakespeare and Romeo and Juliet, you know, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? Well, I'm kidding, but seriously, this is how Genesis is often approached. It's often given this kind of mythological, romantic lens with a dramatic effect. And yes, I just used three adjectives in a row. Is that okay? I wasn't sure. Anyway, my point's this. Genesis is not a myth. It's not a myth. It may well be a love story. Of that I have no doubt. It may be a story with a great beginning, epic highs and tragic lows, and of course, a sacrificial death like no other, and a resurrection of eschatological proportions. Oh! It's the only big word I know, that apart from supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Genesis is not a myth. But why is it labelled as such? Well, I think it comes down to three things. Firstly, definition, dismissal, and dishonesty. Three things. Definition. Our modern Western definition of a myth does not allow for truth. Instead, it refers to any story that's non-scientific, any story that deals with supernatural beings, heroes, or ancestors. And we full well know that Genesis ticks all these boxes. But to label it as a myth, well, that carries with it the baggage of it being untrue. Which leads to our second D, dismissal. If Genesis is simply a myth, then this book demands nothing from us. If Genesis is simply a myth, the entire Bible demands nothing from us. Why? Because the teachings of Jesus himself 
draw on the truths of the creation. In fact, he quotes Genesis directly, not as a theme, not as a nice story, not as a a myth or, or anything. He quotes it as authoritative teaching. Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. This is Jesus speaking. Haven't you read? It's assumed they've read Genesis. At the beginning, the creator made them male and female. From here, he goes on to justify that marriage is between a man and a woman and the seriousness of divorce. There is no dismissing Genesis. To dismiss Genesis is to dismiss Jesus. It's to dismiss Christmas. It's to dismiss the cross. It's to dismiss our faith entirely. And the third reason it's often labelled as myth is simply dishonesty. This idea of Genesis being a myth is actually a relatively new invention. And if I was kind, and I am, mostly, wait till I tell you some jokes later, you may not think so. If I was kind, I would say this idea came about by bored theologians trying to justify their jobs and research grants. Yeah, trying to come up with new stuff because they've got to publish papers to stay relevant. That was me being kind. The fruit of their work, apart from making a name for themselves, has best resulted in Genesis as simply a figurative expression of truth. It contains some truth. We've just got to kind of work out what that truth is. A figurative expression of truth. What does that even mean? Well, I'm sorry, not really, but this is not enough. And why? Because a figurative expression of truth is also a false expression of truth. Let me illustrate with that joke. I've got a couple. At first there was nothing. And then God said, let there be light. And there was still nothing. But now you could see it more clearly. Why did God create the light? Because he wanted to enlighten the world. Yeah, they're all downhill from here. (laughs) Or this one. You're not going to like this one. Why did God create Adam first? He wanted to make a man before he made a mess. Come on, no, it's not sexist. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you, before you, before you start throwing tomatoes. Why did God create Adam first? Practice makes perfect. As long as you cover both sides, you're pretty safe. I'm I'm walking a fine line. (laughs) A joke is a good example of a myth. It often contains both true and false things. A joke is a good example of myth. It contains both a true and a false expression of truth. And where they meet is where we find the joke normally. Genesis is no joke. It is a true and accurate representation of God's creative word in language we can understand. Yes, Adam did live for 930 years. He did. Absolutely sure of it. How is this possible? Good genetics. I remember getting my latest life insurance policy and I had a bit of an interview and they asked me, are your grandparents still alive? No. What did they die of? Well, why would you care? Well, it gives us an idea why you, what you will die of. See, corruption and weakness flows down the genes, yeah? Who's Adam's grandparent? I rest my case. Genesis as myth. To suggest such a thing makes a joke of our faith. It's ultimately a dishonest representation of the text. 
Now, it's possible some of us are already struggling a little bit with all of this. You know, having these kind of this baggage from the world that kind of helps us, sort of makes us think that Genesis isn't the truth that we hoped or were taught maybe in Sunday school that it was. Maybe that's still there and I'm speaking against that, aren't I? Maybe we're still thinking Genesis is like the poor cousin to the teachings of Jesus. Well, stick with me because it's important that we redeem this book's place in our lives and our walk with God. Second thing, canonosity. Oh, yeah, had that already. Canonosity. All right, canon. In this context, it means to live up to a standard. So canonosity refers to the Bible books that measure up to God's standard. 66 books in the Bible, they measure up to God's standard. 40, at least 40 different authors, written over a 1,500-year period. This is the canon of Scripture that we have and use and call the Bible. Now, there are other books. We've heard of them. And they weren't excluded to hide their content, as some might say. There's no Da Vinci Code hearing, hidden in the Scriptures, right? And there's some of these books that aren't in the Bible. They weren't included because they didn't stack up. Some were written under false names. Others written much later in the 2nd and 3rd century. And yet others are clearly fantasiful. What we have today in the Bible, the Scriptures, the 66 books, is trusted, it's tested. And this is a library of books and that we call it the Bible. And it stands alone as far as ancient texts go and its accuracy and its historicity. Oh, so many big words this morning. All right, Hugh Ross, a Canadian astrophysicist and Christian apologist, said this, and it's a pretty big quote. Sorry about that, but I think it's worth our time. He said this about the Bible. The justification I hear more often than any other for leaving the Bible behind is that everyone knows it is antiquated and full of scientific nonsense, if not blatant errors and contradictions. Amazingly, when I ask people to cite examples, many cannot bring to mind even one. Apparently, they base their opinion on hearsay and repeat a widespread misconception. Among those who do answer my question, one Bible portion draws more vigorous attack than all others combined, the first few chapters of Genesis, because that's as far as they've read, probably. This attack opens a wonderful door of opportunity for me. This is important for us, isn't it? And for every believer who knows something about the scientific discoveries of the past few decades. Instead of offering an excuse for disbelief and rejection, these chapters present some of the most persuasive evidences ever assembled for the supernatural authorship, accuracy, and authority of the Bible. Hugh Ross. We can trust the book of Genesis. It measures up. We can trust that these are the very words of God. One last thing. No Christian or Jewish source has ever raised any questions about Genesis's place in the biblical canon. It's place as scripture, as the word of God. Everyone who matters is united that this is scripture. This book is the word of God. Genesis is myth. It's ultimately a dishonest representation of the text. Canonosity. There's never been a disagreement that this is, in fact, Scripture. And our third point, it was good. It was good. 
Now, clearly this is an important point, a important filter, something we need as we unpack the rest of Genesis. Verse 4, the light was good. Verse 9, the water and the land was good. 12, plants and trees was good. Day and night was good. Birds and sea creatures was good. The wild animals and the livestock was good. And verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. This is clearly an important theme, perhaps one of the most important lenses in which to view the creation and all of scripture. It was good. And not just this, I argue that these words, they speak to the yearning of the hearts of every human being who walks the earth. For each and every one of us, fully aware, we know that the world is not good. It's not good, is it? In fact, from a very first breath, a breath that's taken with a painful cry, from this moment we become aware that this world is one of pain, suffering, tears, and even shame. From our very first moments, we become painfully aware that the world isn't good. So no wonder these words, it was good, they arouse our interest. They're almost like those words of a young lover crying out to her Romeo, 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 where for out thou Romeo? Genesis, like the naivety of a young love, it was good. It was good. It was good, but now it isn't. What happened? Well, that's next week's sermon. And yes, I will tell the joke about the serpent not having a leg to stand on. It's coming. Can't help myself. Next week. For now, that's an important lens. A looking back with the knowledge that in Jesus, spoiler alert, that it will be good again. In Jesus, the goodness of Genesis will be fully restored and made better. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. What have we discovered? Genesis as myth. It's ultimately a dishonest representation of this text. It is a story, yes. Clearly it's a story. But it's a true story. Canonicity. There's never been a disagreement as to Genesis as scripture. And if only the witness of generations of Christians was enough, then we must take this seriously. Third thing, it was good. And our hearts yearn to see this again. And the good news is we will see it again. One day we will see the good creation for ourselves. Now that's a hope that you can hang on. Which brings us to our last point. Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John's gospel is, in what appears to be the poetic language of a later Shakespeare, connects the story of Jesus with the creation of of the universe. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning God created. In the beginning was Jesus. Now this is the only time that Jesus was mentioned in the Old Testament. One would be right to assume 
it is the fantasful hopes of later followers, but it isn't. On every page of this book, every page of Scripture, in fact, it all points either directly or indirectly to Jesus and to the cross. It is in Jesus that this text makes sense. It is in Jesus. He is the lens upon which we must view the creation and God himself. Jesus unlocks Genesis. Lastly, as I close this off, expectations. I started with expectations. Well, I have at least two for us as we unpack Genesis over the next uh, 10 weeks, I think it'll be. Expectations. Firstly, that we would know ourselves. Know thyself, I think is the words. Knowing ourselves, where we come from, what started all this, will help us determine our future. Will help us choose the right future. The second expectation is that we would encounter Jesus. He is on every page of Genesis. He's on every page of the scriptures. And it's my hope, it's my expectation that we're going to encounter him more as we unpack this timeless book. And lenses. Now, lenses is actually more about taking them away. I really want us to approach this with the fresh eyes. I want us to take away these lenses of myth and doubt. Was the creation in six days, literally? Why not? Why not? Don't we think God can do that? Isn't God the creator of the universe? We need to take away these lenses of myth and doubt and let the text speak for itself. And in that, we need to drop the lens of the Enlightenment, the so-called Enlightenment, all that outdated science. Today, it is rare to find a scientist who would, doesn't believe in intelligent design. It is rare to find a true scientist who would not say that the universe was created by an intelligent being. It doesn't get them to Jesus, but it's definitely a start. Genesis is not a science book. I wouldn't suggest it was for a second. Genesis is an encounter with the living God. Amen. That's what we're here for, yeah? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for revealing how it was so we know how it will be. Thank you for Jesus and the cross. Amen.